Hi, this is Derek from Atlanta. Unlike Bob, I am a former law enforcement officer, but I still enjoy listening to a practical show by a practical guy. You're listening to the Handgun World Podcast. Hi folks, this is Bob Main. Welcome to another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. A practical show done by a practical guy, and that is me. You're going to find that this show, I don't really go tactical on you, and when I talk about prepping and things, I don't go tinfoil hat on you. I keep things rooted in common sense on this program as well as all the firearms talk I keep rooted in common sense and focus on the Second Amendment and your rights and guns and things like that. So welcome to uh, another one. So this week, I'm going to kind of do a part two to one-handed shooting and also going to talk a little bit about uh, what may have actually happened to George Floyd that they're not talking about. Um, and that's kind of a sensitive subject, I realize. It's very sensitive. And I got some comments I want to make about that as well. Uh, this is a result of a couple real good voicemails that you're going to hear in a few minutes. Remember, this show is sponsored by Concealment Solutions, makers of fantastic holsters. Inside the waistband, outside the waistband, the appendix carry. Whatever you need, you need a good belt. If you're a new gun owner, there's a lot of new gun owners out there. Get a good holster and a good belt for your gun. Check out ConcealmentSolutions.com. The one-word coupon code, which is HandgunWorld, gives you a 10% discount. So when you check out, go to HandgunWorld, get a 10% discount off of Concealment Solutions. Dot com. Check them out. I, I've had them, been using them for years. So let me start by a kind of an interesting observation I recently made at a competition shooting match. Uh, yesterday, by the way, this, this show is recorded on Sunday, June 21st. Happy Father's Day to everybody. Sunday, June 21st, 2020. Happy Father's Day. I want to say something about Father's Day. You know... Anyone can be a father. A father is a biological fact. But then we are also called dads. And a dad is a title that you have to earn. I believe that. A father is a biological fact. A dad is a title that you have to earn. I'm proud to be a father. I'm proud to be a dad. The good ones are both. And uh, I'm not perfect. Who is? Nobody really is. Um, except for one perfect father, and that's our Father in Heaven. Our earthly fathers are not really perfect, and no one can be, but what's in your heart is that what, what matters. And uh, fathers, never underestimate your, your importance and be there. The thing you have to remember as a father, be there. People need you. Be there 
for them. I think that's probably the most important thing you can do is show up. Alright, so happy Father's Day to everybody. I hope that you had a special one. So the experience at a competition match really wasn't mine. It was somebody else's, but i got to share this with you. So I have a good friend of mine that went shooting with us, um, and uh, he has a pistol that that he kind of kind of created on his own. He bought a bunch of parts that are Glock-like, but are not really Glock parts, and he created a Glock-like handgun. Um, he's got a lone wolf lower, and he's got uh, a barrel and a slide and an upper that he bought from someplace uh, with some fancy stuff on it and compensation on it. Well, I don't think he had a compensator yesterday. No, he didn't. He didn't have a compensator yesterday, but he's got a barrel for one. And um, and then he bought a Holison red dot sight and he put that on. And, uh, you know, he's got an aftermarket barrel. Pretty much everything is, uh, it's like a Lego gun. You know, it's a, it's a Glock, but it's not a Glock. 19 size. And he was having all kinds of problems with it, all kinds of problems. And he has been for several weeks, he's been, he's been having issues, reliability issues. But yesterday's issues were a little bit different. They were, they were reliability issues that, that hadn't, hadn't shown up before. Now, interestingly enough, last weekend, he couldn't hit very well. He couldn't, couldn't hit the targets very well. And thought that there was an issue with the barrel or the sights or the slide and at the end of the match we had some extra time I said hey can I have your gun can I check it out can I use it can I borrow it right now and I want to shoot a magazine of ammo he said sure so there were about four or five steel targets out there and I took his gun loaded it up and I shot all four or five steel targets from about 10 yards. And I didn't miss. Not once. An entire magazine. Uh, it wasn't the gun. It wasn't the gun. The reason he was missing was not the gun. Uh, that's, you know, that's one of the best things that you can do. If you're missing a lot, before you start calling it the gun's problem, give that gun to somebody else and see if it does the same thing for them give it to somebody that you know is likely a better shooter and if it continues to miss for somebody who's a good shooter then maybe it is a gun problem or an ammunition problem or a sight problem or whatever but I didn't miss and it never malfunctioned on me either so just some food for thought and if you give it to that person and they shoot it and they don't miss and it never malfunctions you need to examine what it is that you're doing because you're the problem and not the gun and I'm gonna share something with you and and that is it it goes like this ninety percent of the time the problem is not the gun it took me a long time to figure this out it did I'm gonna be I'm gonna be straightforward here it took me a long time you probably heard me talk about back when I first started shooting both defensively competitively even long before I started teaching people about 2005 2006 2007 time frame I spent a lot of money 
on guns. A lot of money on guns, on modifications, on different parts and things like that. I had some expensive 1911s. I had a real expensive Sig Sauer. Um, and I was always modifying with uh, modifying them and tinkering with them and changing this and upgrading that and doing all that. Oh, man, I just it's amazing to think about how much money and time I spent, but I spent very little money and time on ammunition and training and making myself better. And what I learned was that my shooting did not improve much better. And these were expensive 1911s. These were good guns. It was a real good SIG. It was a SIG 226, a good gun, SIG P226. Um, and my, my shooting just didn't get much better, no matter what I did to the guns. And it took me a while. So I want to share this with you. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you don't make the, state, the same mistake. It took me a while to figure out that the majority of the problem was me. And then here's what I learned. Once I got to be a better shooter, then the modifications, they helped a lot. They exponentially helped improve my shooting. Once my skill level got better, then the trigger modifications and the improved sights and maybe the improved barrel and the red dot sight and all that, then, then they help you. Uh, greatly so that's why over the years I've always talked about the thousand round trigger trigger job the thousand round trigger job and I think I think I want to increase that I want to increase that to the 2000 round trigger job you need to give your gun a 2000 round trigger job and that basically means buy 2000 rounds and shoot it through your gun before you do anything to the gun I mean don't do anything. There might be one exception I'd make to that. If you buy a Glock pistol, feel free to change out the sights right away. Because the stock Glock sights are not so great. Although, I'll tell you what. I've used the stock Glock sights many times in competition and in a defensive class. And I did alright with them. They're not that bad. Okay, I still made hits. It was much more difficult to make hits because of the terrible sight system, but you can do it. It's just all about your skill level. I just, I'm just not comfortable with plastic sights, so if you have a Glock pistol and you want to change out the sights, fine. Then give it a 2,000 round trigger job and don't, don't do anything until after. And I don't mean just go to the range and plink and stand at a public range and shoot 2,000 rounds over the course of a couple of months. That's not what I'm talking about. Go to competition, take a class, take a lesson, several lessons, and, and, and shoot 2,000 rounds through that gun. You know, there are several reasons for that which I've covered many, many times. So anyway, my friend, back to my friend. So I got a call from him yesterday. And uh, he said, hey, uh, Bob, I figured out what the problem was. Now, while we were at the match, credit to Ben Branham. Ben Branham took his gun apart and figured out that there was something wrong with the extractor. And uh, Ben's good at all that stuff. So once Ben said, hey, the problem's the extractor, um, Ben was correct, but there was something that none of us knew. So my friend called me up. He said, Bob, I figured out what was wrong with my gun. It kept... 
it kept looked like stove piping malfunctioning, uh, failure to feed, whatever, failure to extract, eject, multiple times. Well, he put a Holison red dot sight on his gun. And uh, he used screws that were too long. Uh, from what I understand, you get several different lengths of screws with the Holison red dot sights. And the one that's uh, on the right side of the, of the gun when he put it in there is too long. And it was pinching the extractor. It was pinching that spring uh, or whatever. And because he said he, he basically took that screw out. And put in a shorter screw, and um, it appeared that everything was was fine now. So I told him, I said, you need to take that gun to the range soon and test it. But I think he did find his problem. If that screw was too long and it was pinching on his extractor or spring or rod, whatever's in there, then then that that could definitely cause the gun to fail to properly extract the uh, spent casings. So again, whenever you make a modification, even if it's a red dot sight, uh, whatever. He bought a slide that was already cut for a Trigicon RMR or Holison red dot. And uh, but I guess you know you need you need to just really pay particular attention, close attention to what you're doing when you're modifying your gun because typically when you see a lot of malfunctions in someone's modern semi-automatic pistol it's because they've made a lot of careless modifications now I think there are good modifications and then there are careless modifications uh, maybe that's a topic for uh, a future podcast that I'll talk about I've made some careless modifications myself but uh, I was shooting a gun yesterday that's got a lot of modifications to it but they've all been done well and I've not had a single problem um, it's the Glock 19 third generation that you see on my YouTube channel that I recently talked about on a podcast a few weeks back if you go to my YouTube channel you'll see it I titled it an almost perfect Glock and uh, it, it ran absolutely perfect and I'm shooting a lot better with it now my skill level my skill level I'm not going to say I'm expert I'm an intermediate shooter maybe maybe I'm a little bit towards the top end of the intermediate level um, you know I'm at the sharpshooter level in IDPA so that's that's not it's not master expert but it, it the modifications I've made I've noticed that my shooting has improved a lot the last two times that I've been out because I've given that particular gun about a 10,000 round trigger job before I did much to it at all which that just reminds me I gotta get more ammo <laughs> I'm getting low I'm down to somewhere around I think 1500 or 1600 rounds I saw something on uh, it was either Facebook or Twitter recently I can't remember which one somebody made a post said that their uncle was crazy because he had two handguns and five boxes of ammunition in his basement uh, really he's crazy because he has two handguns and five boxes of ammunition 
I know people who keep that in their car. <laughs> but someone thinks they have a crazy uncle in their basement. Maybe it was Joe Biden. I don't know. Hey, may- maybe that's who it was. Yeah, well, whatever. Anyway, um, I, don't give <laughs> I don't get political on this show, but I did think that that was kind of a funny joke. Maybe, maybe you didn't. But, <laughs> but anyway, it's important that I need to I need to get some more ammo so uh, shortly here I'll be uh, I'll be ordering cuz uh, you got to keep more than 5 by I need to keep more than 1500 rounds here as much as I've been shooting lately and I got plenty of 223 I need to get my AR15s out and and I guess I'm one of those nutty people too I'm I'm a nut job I got two AR15s and about 3000 rounds of ammo I guess I guess I'm crazy I'm a nut job uh, it's, I'm one of those. In fact, I don't even keep it in my basement. I keep them, keep them all, all in in my office in a giant safe in my office. So, I get, I guess I'm really nuts because I got all these guns and ammo in my office at home. Wow, my home office. And uh, but you know, I've been I've been working out of a home office for 21 years now. It's awesome. It's awesome. I get a kick out of everybody everybody now because of COVID-19. You know, they have to work out of their home, and it's like, oh, man, this is difficult, working out of my home. I've been doing it for 21 years, folks. It's it's not difficult. Um, you can get used to it. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to work any other way. Working out of my house is fantastic. Now, I don't want to lie. I, I have to go out and see customers because I'm in outside sales. So the heart of my business is going out and seeing customers, but... Whenever I'm not actually going out and seeing customers and selling, I'm working out of my house. And it's it's a great way to be. I you know, my my commute every morning is twenty nine feet. That's great. I love it. There's not much traffic on that twenty nine foot commute from my, my bedroom first to the coffee machine and then from the coffee machine to my office. 29 feet. Oh, maybe it's more. Maybe it might be 32 to 33 feet now that I think about it. But anyway, I don't have a real big house. But I got to get this ammo. So anyway, um, what I did for my friend is he got really frustrated. So I had my stock 5th generation Glock 17, 100% stock. And I, I gave it to him. I said, here, finish the match. We had three more stages to go. I said, finish the match with my stock G17, fifth generation. And after the first stage, after shooting that, he's like, oh, this is great. I can't believe this. This is excellent. This gun feels good. It, it runs good. It's so much fun to shoot. And, you know... uh but it was also happy that he I was happy he called me up and he isolated and figured out his problem. Lesson in this I think is just please stop making so many modifications to your gun that might not be necessary and if you do want to do them make sure that everything is done right. Now this is also another reason why it's important to go test your equipment. Go to competition, go to a training class, take a lesson, test your equipment. You need to know if there's things causing malfunctions on your gun 
that you don't know about. Even if your gun is in completely factory stock condition, sometimes you get some bad ones from the factory. You need to go test them and test them a lot. And I don't mean just two boxes of ammo and call it good. No, 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 no. No, no. Many hundreds if not thousands of rounds before you call it good. Okay? Even if it means you only buy one gun and some ammo because that's all you can afford. Because Bob Main said you got to give it a 2,000 round trigger job. Okay, fine. So if you're going to follow and do that and you can only afford in your budget one gun and a thousand or two rounds of ammo, that's fine. Stick with that. Stick with that till your budget grows and you can get something else. But just make sure that that gun is going to be reliable and do the job because there is nothing more important than reliability if you have to use your gun in self-defense. Would you agree with me on that? I hope hope so. I hope so. Reliability is the most important. And the second most important thing about your handgun for self-defense is that it's reliable. That That's the second. And the third most important thing is reliability. You get the point? There's no substitute for it. Um, okay, so that's the story on that. Okay, so let's get to the first voicemail about uh, one-handed shooting again. Hey, Bob. It's uh, Dave in Utah here. Uh, calling with a little comment on your one-handed shooting show. Um, I recently started carrying a, a little pocket gun as a backup to my normal gun, and I've discovered the best place for it is in my left side uh, hip pocket in a pocket holster. And as I've been practicing drawing and doing dry fire with it, I realized something. Another good reason for a skilled shooter to shoot with their offhand is that when you when you start shooting with your, your weak hand, the gun feels really awkward. Um, it's really kind of difficult and weird to, to grip it, and you have to kind of relearn how to do it and remind yourself of all those techniques that you learned in your first pistol classes to control recoil, you know, to minimize the muscle moving when you pull the trigger, um, things like that. And that's useful experience because when you're taking a new person shooting or you're teaching a brand-new student who hasn't handled a gun, it feels awkward and weird even in their strong hand because they're not used to holding it correctly. So, so really teaching yourself to get up to a certain skill level with your weak hand will remind you of, you know, maybe how difficult it is for a brand-new shooter and, uh, you know, reinforce those, those basic techniques uh, pistol shooting that we all learned from uh, our professional teachers. And then we can pass those lessons on, remember how it feels, empathize with them, and facilitate learning. Anyway, thanks for the good work. Keep it up, Bob. Bye. Dave, that's such a good point. Yeah, it does kind of remind you of what it's like for a new shooter. And, uh, you know, you got to practice that. A lot of people do carry their backup gun on their opposite side of their strong side, like in a front hip pocket or someplace like that. And so you'll be drawing it like for me, I'm a right-handed shooter. So if I'm carrying my my pocket gun in my left pocket, I'll be drawing it out of there with my left hand and most likely shooting with my left hand 
And like I've said before, I'm actually pretty good at it. I don't know why, but I'm pretty good shooting with my left hand. Every time I do it, whether it's in competition or, or training class, uh, I don't I, I don't normally have too much problem with the left-handed shooting. Some of it has come natural to me, but I've practiced it too, and so it shows. It shows when I practice it. There it is. It's it's a skill I can I can do fairly well. Not as good as using my right hand, or not as good as using both hands, but I don't fall apart when I have to shoot with my left hand. So Dave brings up a good point. It kind of reminds you what it's like or what the new shooters are going through when they're trying to learn. And, you know, in one-handed shooting, it really challenges your ability to use the proper grip, use the proper stance. Um, Recoil control becomes so much more important you know, and the grip, the grip is so important. It's real easy. You got to be careful of something. When you're shooting with your off hand, the hand that's not your dominant hand, um, and you're shooting a semi-automatic gun, it's easy to not have a good enough grip and cause a malfunction. And uh, even if you're shooting a revolver, uh, you're and you're shooting it with your off hand, it's going to be much more difficult. It's probably going to be much more difficult for you to be accurate with it, especially, especially if it's a small snub-nosed revolver and you got very hot-loaded, hollow-point defensive ammunition in that thing. You know, those things are hard enough to shoot two-handed or, or one-hand with your strong hand. Put that thing in your weak hand and see what happens when you got that little tiny revolver. Or if you're shooting a big revolver. Even if you shoot a service size revolver, those things can be heavy. And when you put them in your off hand, the hand that's not quite so strong, that that could be quite the challenge as well. But this is, I hope you'll agree that these are the kinds of things you need to practice. And these are the kinds of things you need to get, get good at if you really want to be prepared in, uh, in self-defense. If, if that bad time comes. And with the world we're living in now, it seems like that bad time has a much higher grade of, much higher odds of happening than, than in the past. That even much higher than, say, five or six or seven years ago. We, this, this world is just not, it just ain't the same as it used to be, right? I think I think that's something that most everybody can probably see right now. And the other thing that uh, I want to talk about when I mentioned one-handed shooting that I did not mention in my last uh, episode that I talked about that is, uh, do you know how to clear a malfunction one-handed? It's not that easy. It's an important skill, though, but it's not that easy. Uh, if you are a member of the Shooters Club, you'll see instruction on how to do it. You know, if I help you on this show, if, if this show, if you like this and it helps you, please consider supporting me. Uh, I am supported mostly by listeners. 90% of the support financially and everything else that I get is is supported by listeners, generous listeners like you have only one sponsor, and I do that really on purpose. I don't want this show to be real commercial. 
So Ben Branham and I have a Shooters Club membership site, and it's fantastic. It's over 80 instructional videos that are terrific. If you're a member, go back and find those one-handed shooting uh, videos and, and watch them again. And if you're not a member, fix that. Get, get signed up for $8 a month or $75 a year. And, uh, and check out all of our instruction that we have on there on how to clear malfunctions one-handed, how to be a good shooter one-handed. Uh, you can find all that at ShootersClubMembers.com. ShootersClubMembers.com. There'll be a link in the show notes. And there's also a page at HandgunWorld.com dedicated to the Shooters Club. And then, you know, we also have real good instructional videos, even from videos that we took, that we filmed live during the classes um, that we teach. So do you know how to clear those malfunctions? And uh, even, you know, your sight picture looks different when you're shooting one-handed. You have to hold that gun in a different position to get it in front of your dominant eye sometimes. So these are all things that you that I, I really urge you to practice and, and Dave I'm, I'm glad that you brought this up because uh, a lot of people probably do what you, what you do carry a backup gun on the opposite side in in the in the front hip pocket on the opposite side of what their strong side normally is uh, or some people who ex appendix carry will will carry the backup gun on the other side where they're carrying their primary appendix carry weapon um, for those that carry two guns you know have you practiced that draw like I mentioned before have you purchased a left-handed holster for your gun or if you're a left-hander have you purchased a right-handed holster for your carry gun so you can practice and dry fire practice and go to a uh, a class and uh, it, that's important Matter of fact, I just reminded myself, I think the next time I go competition shooting, I'm going to shoot two stages left-handed. Because I have a left-handed Glock 19 holster. So I think I'm going to shoot a couple of those stages left-handed. So I can get used to uh, doing that. Even, even more, even though I'm pretty decent at it, I want to get, I want to become better at doing that. And speaking of getting better, September 19th and 20th, Ben Branham and I are teaching Beyond Concealed Carry. We, we started doing that again. We're going to do, do it again probably for another year and see what happens. A lot of new gun owners out there need some training. If you're a new gun owner, new shooter, come to this class. This is not going to be too advanced for you, I promise. I promise it's not going to be too advanced. Just practice drawing from a holster safely. Dry fire practice at home between now and September and practice dry firing safely drawing your ho your holster out of your drawing your gun out of your holster drawing your gun out of your holster practice that uh, even if you can get to a range and practice that before you come to class that's pretty much all you need to know before you come and we'll even get you up to speed and we'll work with you even if you have a challenge doing that so again beginners are welcome in this class in San Antonio, September 19th and 20th, San Antonio, Texas. It's on our website. Get signed up. Ben Branham and I are both the the lead instructors. You're going to get two instructors for the price of one. Early bird specials are, are on right now. Check it out. 
uh, go to the website, my website, handgunworld.com, and you'll see a link there to get signed up. Okay, so next, this next vo voicemail is is about a topic potentially that that something that may have happened in the George Floyd situation. Maybe we don't know. A lot of unknowns there, but this is something that may have happened. Hey Bob, a little uh, part two here. I was talking about wooden chest. So wooden chest is something that they the medical people call because basically all of the muscles in your chest, around your ribs and diaphragm, they all um, they all flex, they all seize up. And so what happens is then um, it's like I guess it's kind of like an extreme version of getting the wind knocked out of you. You're you're having a spasm. You're not able to expand or contract your your chest, so you're not able to uh, move air into your lungs. Um, some article I saw said that they uh, this person had observed this in a medical setting where they administered fentanyl as an anesthetic to somebody, then all of a sudden their chest wasn't able to move, and so they gave them another drug that um, counteracted that. It allowed those muscles to relax. And, um, yeah, so George Floyd had fentanyl in his body, so that that could have been a reaction that he was having to the fentanyl, where all of a sudden his his lungs just seized up. Now he could have been experiencing excited delirium, which was causing him to incoherently fight with officers, or maybe he was panicking because the fentanyl was causing his his chest to gradually stop working and making it hard for him to breathe, and so he's panicking and fighting officers. Um, in any case, he, he fought with them. They were able to get him restrained. However, you know, they kind of violated protocol by, by putting pressure on his lungs and his airway because uh, you're not supposed to do that. In the, in the uh, report filed by Minneapolis Police Department, they mentioned that one of the officers had talked about, you know, excited delirium and shouldn't they roll him on his side. So they, they you know, improper... Uh, procedure there on his neck and then of course once he goes unresponsive the police have that person in custody they need to start doing medical treatment they need to roll him on his back and you know position his head make sure his airway is clear and see if, are his lungs rising and falling does he have a pulse um, and they need to start doing aid and from that video they they just sat there and let him just be unconscious and unresponsive for a couple of minutes they did not attempt to do any sort of first aid on him at all, and so I think that's where that's where a lot of the uh, missteps happen. Um, whether that was deliberate or not, you know, I'm not a mind reader. Who knows? But they should have they should have not been on his neck, impeding his breathing. And when he went unresponsive, they definitely should have immediately started switching into CPR mode, trying to trying to keep that guy's heart pumping and keep the blood moving until they medics got there and were able to start working on it. Anyway. Okay, Dave, that's some stuff I really hadn't thought about. Now, I, I want to say this. In no way do I condone what the police officers did to George Floyd. It It is a tragedy of the first degree. It, it really is. It's just absolute gross negligence and that proved to be deadly for Mr. Floyd 
and uh, I still grieve for him and his family, and I grieve for us as a nation, and I, I grieve for us as for people who are for people who are in law enforcement, because not all police officers are are that way. Not all police officers are a Derek Chauvin. Uh, they're just not. Um, and uh, all these calls to defund the police, you know, go take a look at the pictures from 9-11, from September 11th, and look at those police officers and the heroic things that they were doing and the fire department was doing in New York City. You want to defund those people? You know, people they want to defund those people and dismantle those people, those heroes, uh, you know, come on. Um, yes, this this is a this is a horrible, horrible situation. I personally do not think that this is the state of law enforcement everywhere. In fact, I know it's not. I know it's not the norm in law enforcement all over the country. It's not the normal, and we must deal with this. We must stop this. Yes. But Dave offers some good points that may have happened in that situation. Some interesting and some good stuff to think about. Now, I'm no expert in this stuff. Um, you know, I'm just like, I'm, like I tell you folks, I am who I say I am. I'm an everyday guy. And uh, I have a, a family and a life that is not only just firearms. and it's I'm not in the firearms industry. I'm, I'm not ex-law enforcement. I'm not ex-military. I'm not a gunsmith or anything like that. As they say here in Texas, I'm just a Yankee with a gun. <laughs> the reason I say that, I was born in New York City. And, and I was raised most of my young life in Wisconsin. That's why I call Wisconsin my home state. Um, but now I live in the great gun-friendly state of Texas in San Antonio to be exact. And just an everyday guy living my life like all of you taking this uh, Second Amendment self-defense and preparedness stuff seriously. And I want to talk a little bit about some preparedness stuff coming up in, uh, at near the end of this episode. But Dave brings up some good points. Um, and, th- of course, the media is not going to talk about this. Um, and a lot of politicians in the media, they, they have an agenda. And Antifa has an agenda. And they basically, Antifa basically, uh, they're basically thugs that want to destroy this country. It's just the way it is. And I, and I think they, they definitely need to be stopped from doing that. Don't you think? Uh, and, and that's why we see so many people buying guns. COVID-19 made people realize uh, you got to prepare. You got to be a common sense prepper. Uh, if COVID-19 didn't wake you up and make you realize that, nothing will. And you got to provide for your own self-defense as well. And how are you doing that? What? How much improvement have you made on that? I think I, I asked this in uh, last week in the last episode. How much improvement? I can tell you, me and my family, we've improved, we've improved drastically on our PPE equipment, personal protection equipment and that's interesting because we find out more and more about masks and stuff like that and what's effective and what's not effective a lot of very credible people say that the masks are are not very effective in helping spread COVID-19 here here in San Antonio it's mandatory 
that you wear a mask when you go out in public. Although I see a lot of people not complying. And I don't I don't see anybody getting in trouble for not complying, but but the politicians say that, that it's mandatory to wear a mask when you're in a in a public uh gathering. So, you know, because I want to try to be a good citizen I I try to comply, but also I don't want to uh damage myself, I don't want to damage my health and my family. I don't want to make it worse on my family and do something that's unhealthy or unhelpful. I think the social distancing, the washing of hands and all that, I think that's that's far more important and doing things to stay healthy and keeping your immune system up. Are you doing that? You know, are you taking vitamins? Are you exercising? Are you eating well, getting a lot of good sleep and doing the things necessary to keep your immune system healthy? You know, uh, they're doing more testing of COVID-19 now. So because they're doing more testing of COVID-19, they're finding out about more cases. But the hospitals don't seem to be overrun like everybody thought they were going to be. At least not around here. I'm not hearing any reports about hospitals being overcrowded and people not being treated and not getting the medications and the ventilators and things if they need them. I'm not hearing about that. And uh, so, so even though there's more cases, even though there might be a spike in cases, does that mean that there's actually that many more people dying or going into the hospital? It doesn't seem to be. Let me put it that way. I could be wrong, but it doesn't seem like it. But you still need to prepare. And uh, how, how you doing financially on your preps? How, how you doing on that? Because some people are going back to work, but not everybody. So you might be somebody that's out of work listening to this right now. When you get back to work, do you have a plan? Catch up on all your bills first. Get some debt paid off. But do you have a plan after you catch up on your bills to get an emergency fund going? And I think a three-month emergency fund has proven itself to be very important in case something like this happens again. So are you working on that? It's not going to happen overnight, but are you working on it? Okay, that's, that's the most important thing. And one of, the, one of the best things you can do to get to that point is, is get out of debt. Sell what you have to sell. Get rid of what you have to get rid of to start getting out of debt. Okay, it's a killer. Lower your bills as best as you can. That's the big quest that I'm on right now is lowering my monthly bills, lowering my overall monthly bills, cutting everything that I can cut or trimming. Not necessarily eliminating things from uh, my lifestyle, but trimming them so that they're more reasonable and easier to afford. Maybe finding some alternatives that are lower priced, things like that. I've always believed and always said it over the years, you are truly free when you are more self-reliant. And, and you know, hey, a lot of people in the government, they don't like that. They don't like you to be self-reliant. They just don't. Let's face the facts right now. They don't want you to be. They want you to be dependent on them. Fight that with every fiber of your being. Fight that tooth and nail with everything you can. Do not become dependent upon the government to take care of you and your family. The more dependence that the government has, the more power and control 
that they have and the easiest way to take power and control away from the government is to reduce dependency on that said government. I really believe that strongly. And so that's my message for you in this episode. Also, please remember to use my Amazon store when you make your Amazon purchases. Go to handgunworld.com first and then use my Amazon store that's on my page. I get help, uh, some help financially from Amazon and every little bit helps. I'd appreciate that. That's all, folks. Thanks for listening to uh, episode 512 of the Handgun World Podcast. I'm Bob Main. I do a practical show because I'm a practical guy and it's my goal to keep it that way and to help you. So, as I close, I want to say, remember, evil does not exist in the holster. It exists in the hearts of men and women. Shoot straight, shoot safe. I'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.